the last two episodes of our 2023 season are John's and my conversation with the award-winning filmmaker Becky Hutner. And we're talking about her documentary, Fashion Reimagined, which is focused on the sustainability journey of fashion designer Amy Pownie, creative director of the brand Mother of Pearl. The film premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, and on top of the awards it has already won, it has earned Becky a nomination for Best Debut Director by the British Independent Film Awards. Becky is making films, many of them about fashion, for almost 20 years. And the story of how she created this particular film is an incredible story. Not just because Becky found a way to make a passion project in an industry where such a thing is almost never possible, but the journey to that result and then the final product being so well-respected, it's a tale that's deserving of a film treatment on its own. As you probably already know, sustainability in fashion is an issue very dear to our hearts at Little Red. And we were thrilled that Becky could make the time to speak with us about her latest project. In this half of the interview, we'll hear about how she got started in her career, we'll hear about following her dreams and then backing them up with a ton of hard work and how all of that brought Becky from her childhood home in Toronto all the way to the other side of the globe. We'll hear about her film and how she took an idea to its premiere at one of the most well-known and respected film festivals in the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of Little Red Village. Of course, this is Jonathan Joseph with my co-host Rachel Elspeth Rose and our amazing, amazing guest today, Becky Putner. Joining us all the way from England, which is amazing. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, we're thrilled. For anyone who doesn't know, Becky is the award-winning filmmaker behind her first feature documentary, Fashion Reimagined. She's worked in fashion covering variety of she's worked in a variety of different areas within fashion promotion. She's worked for some large brands, some large big name companies you will have heard of. We're going to be talking to her today mostly about her feature documentary, Fashion Reimagined, where she's following the creative director of brand, a mother of Pearl, this woman's name is Amy Pownie, as she went about trying to challenge the understandings kind of, of traditional fashion and the, the chain of how something goes from either a plant fiber or an animal source all the way to you know, what we buy off of a rack in the store. And it's a fascinating film. So Becky, thank you so much. We're so glad that we could, we could have you here today. Do you think that there's like a through line that connects all of your projects? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, broadly, so, you know, I've been working in film for almost 20 years now. I would say broadly, the through line is that most of my work has been either documentary or documentary style, if it's been like commercial work for brands. Not always, but mostly. And then, you know, with the start of Fashion Reimagined, there's kind of a transformation that that took place that I that I wanted to take place for a long, long time. And now I'm on that road. And now the through line of my work is what I would call impact storytelling. So that is telling stories in the space of either, you know, environmental issues or social issues and and you know, but human driven stories in those two spaces. So, you know, my hope is that I can continue on the path of fashion reimagined. And, and make more documentaries that are kind of character-led about the world's most pressing issues. The thing I, when learning about your work, I really found to be consistent is that you're not just interested in, you know, your own 
personal sphere, but the, the world at large and the way that you know, different communities connect and interact and what impact those communities have on each other, which is fascinating. <laughs> Jonathan and I are very, very into all that detail, all that interesting data. It's, it's wonderful. Does it, what makes a project when you were going to be approaching something new? Is there something that you look for? Is there an idea, something that makes an idea stick out to you? How do you decide what you want to work on? Yeah, absolutely. So again, historically, the projects that I took on, to be completely honest with you guys, were the projects that were available to me that I pitched on and the powers that be said yes. And that is often the case for working filmmakers. It's very, very hard to make a career out of only passion projects and only things that you want to work on. And there are very few filmmakers working today that can solely do that. So that is the reality or has been the reality generally. Now, since Fashion Reimagined, I'm really hoping that, that I can tell those stories that do stick out to me. And I am developing a few projects post-Fashion Reimagined now that are about very inspiring human beings who are working, you know, against a backdrop of either an environmental issue or a social issue. So to be more specific, you know, I am developing a feature doc about a farming family in the middle of the UK. They're one of the first organic farms in the country, and they are fighting to save their family farm from evil corporate developers who move in next door. One of the farm, which is this amazing oasis of biodiversity with so much history and so much research that's been done on this farm. So there's that. And then I have another story that's come to me that I'm just in early development on that's about a bus of refugees, 150 refugees, that were transferred from the Home Office in London last November to the village next to me. So I live in a small village on the southwest coast of England. And it was 150 refugees from 27 different countries that were secretly transferred overnight to a hotel in the village next to me. And what happens when you put 150 people who've been traumatized together in this space and and the relationships that develop inside the hotel and then outside of the hotel and how it impacts the community. So, so yeah, just to give you some concrete examples of, of what I'm working on. No, I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds fascinating and so sad. Where I live, we've had many such incidents. I'm in Florida and our government is not particularly friendly to the plight of, well, really anyone. About it, yeah. It's just Same here. horrible. Yeah, but I mean, that sounds, I like that. You want to tell stories, interesting stories, but stories that matter and that affect people. Stories that matter and putting a human face to these issues that maybe we hear about on the news, but might not be able to connect to. I think that's where, you know, the documentary format really shines because you have the time, you have 90 minutes, you have two hours to really spend time with these people and on these narratives. Whereas you know, with the news, for example, much, much shorter duration, very headline driven format. Well, I think that's what I really like about your work in general is that you give these complex issues the space they need to really breathe within the documentary format, which I think is particularly poignant. I think why your pacing is the way it is. That's definitely what I picked up on while watching while watching the movie. You know, I 
I'd never heard of Mother of Pearl outside of the, you know, fashion press here and there. But being able to really see the process from soup to nuts, I think even as a fashion historian was so, what you translated so well was the joy of the process to the team at Mother of Pearl, which I think was so important because it then shifts from being just about the process to really being about the brand coming into its own in its like purest form, which I just thought was fantastic. How did you, how did you get to the point where making this short, making this short about the design, Vogue Designer Fashion Fund and their winner was your role? What, can you talk a little bit about getting to the point of creating the movie and really getting to the point of telling that story? How did it first come across your radar? I'm going to rewind back to 2017. I was working at a company called Duck Productions in London as a director and a producer. And Duck makes film content for fashion brands and in the fashion space. And one of their main clients was British Fashion Council, which produces London Fashion Week. And so I was leading the in-house team producing content for many seasons of London Fashion Week. And that put me in contact with many, many high-profile designers like Valentino and Tommy Hilfiger and many incredible designers. And and so, you know, through this experience, I was learning a lot about, you know, different designers' processes and that whole world. And one of the jobs that came up for British Fashion Council was making a short around the Vogue Designer Fashion Fund, which British Fashion Council is a partner on. And this is an award given every year to the top emerging designer in the UK. And the winner in 2017 was Amy Pownie from Mother of Pearl. So I went and filmed Amy winning this award. And I interviewed her at her house afterwards. And there's a cash prize that comes with the award. So one of my questions was, you know, what are you going to do with this money? What's next in your career? And she told me that she was going to use the money to fund a mission to create a sustainable collection from farm to closet. And she had very specific standards of what sustainability meant to her across, you know, environmental standards and and social standards and animal welfare. And this was just a light bulb moment for me because I had been on a sustainability journey of my own for several years. I worked as an editor on a documentary called Revolution in around 2011 by an incredible environmental filmmaker called Rob Stewart. And Revolution is about the collapse of the oceans and climate change. And these were issues that I'd never thought seriously about before. And it was a lot of information that really knocked me sideways and changed my course. And I made a lot of changes in my personal life. At, at that point, and have really been focused on sustainability ever since. But by 2017, I was feeling restless and and feeling like the changes that I had made in my personal life were not enough. How could I do something that could potentially have a broader impact on these issues that I care so much about? And at the same time, you know, as a filmmaker, I was really wanting to make my first feature already. I've been working in film for a long time at that point. And so when I met Amy and she told me she was about to embark on this incredible mission, I just knew that that was that potential opportunity to have a broader impact. And what a cool way into issues like 
climate change and environmental collapse and are closed because, you know, melting glaciers and wildfires can feel far away for people, unfortunately, not all people, but but we all were closed. And so I thought that was a really cool, tangible on-ramp to these issues. And so that's that's how the film got started. I, I just started following Amy around and I pretty much haven't left her alone since. <laughs> <laughs> I I filmed her for three years and, and yeah, it was a five year process total to make the film. I know that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, One of the things I really love about that, and I think it echoes a lot of our philosophy here, both at Little Red Fashion and on the podcast, and that is really that fashion can be such a broad lens to so many different issue areas, concepts, and things. And I think using fashion for the sustainability conversation is a, is a no-brainer and a win-win because it's something that I think so many people, even like yourself, until it's put to you in a certain way, you don't realize the scale and the brevity of fashion's impacts on environmental issues and the way that fashion can be leading the charge forward, which I think was probably my favorite thing in terms of just the interplay between the micro and the macro, like the micro of our personal choices and what we decide to put on our bodies and how that informs the macro conversation about sustainability in all its forms, whether it's where things are coming from, how they're produced. I think that one of the things this documentary did so well was a really balanced telling the macro narrative and the micro narrative together. Sometimes I find there is a challenge in really having a balanced conversation of the micro and the macro when it comes to sustainability. And you've managed to use fashion as a perfect fulcrum for that, which I really appreciated. I was wondering, you know, you met, you met, sorry. No, I just, I really, really appreciate that feedback. And I love the way you frame that with the micro and the macro. I always think of it as like the narrative side and the issue side, but I like, I like your wording there. And, and just to say like, that was one of the biggest challenges of making the film was hitting that balance. And we had a full 18 months of edit, full-time edit and striking that the correct balance of weaving narrative into issue and not you know, if we lean too far into the issue side, because we had many iterations of the film, if we lean too far into the issue, it felt too heavy and dark. And if we lean too far into the narrative side, there wasn't enough time to share, for, to, to communicate the scale and urgency mm-hmm. of the issue. So it's like, where is that middle ground? So just thank you so much for that feedback, because that was, that was possibly the greatest challenge of making the film. I think well, it was think it- done. I mean. Yeah, it was fantastically done and it gave, I could sense the weaving happening, which gave it a sense of pacing in and of itself from the way you constructed it. So, I mean, I thought it was really fantastically done in that sense. I also was curious, I mean, you know, you mentioned that you are a fashion girly and so has fashion always been a subject outside of the work that you did for or prior, like prior to the work that you did with the British Fashion Council? Fashion always been something that maybe in the back of your mind, you were like, I got to get to a fashion film one of these days. Like, has that been something as a filmmaker that has always interested you in pursuing talking about fashion through your art form? You know, not, not consciously as a filmmaker, but fashion has always been an integral part of my life. I can't, you know, I don't even, I can't 
remember when I wasn't interested in fashion. I've always absolutely loved it. I have a very stylish mother. My grandmother was super into fashion. Oh my goodness. But both of them, you know, I really love their approach to fashion. They both knew themselves and their taste and their bodies really well, what suited them. And they both focused on quality, kind of classic pieces, you know, pieces that stand the test of time. And so I feel like I I got a really good foundation from them. And while, you know, it's impossible to avoid all trends in life, I feel like I was, thanks to them, first of all, I had like an early love of vintage and I was able to swerve kind of the worst of the fast fashion scene, thanks to them, because I just, I grew up with this love of quality and of, of older things. And to this day, like at least 50% of my closet is my mom and grandma's, like this is my grandma's necklace. I just like have old stuff. <laughs> I just I completely, completely understand the love of quality. Uh, old, I, yes. With my mother living free rent in the back of my head she's a wonderful woman love my mother dearly i can never buy a piece of clothing where the pattern if it's like stripes or something it doesn't match in the seams and if it doesn't repeat on the back yeah which is (laughs) honestly that shouldn't be that much of a but just the time and the effort and the cutting that goes into that you can't buy from some of these sketchy scary giant brands they don't care enough i think about these things (laughs) it's not always bad i guess it's my long roundabout way yeah I'm completely with you on that and so yeah fashion has always been a part of my life and it maybe it was inevitable that I would focus on it as a filmmaker it did not set out specifically to tell stories in the fashion space but I think loving fashion like at least you know thinking about costumes thinking about styling was always a part of it you know set design and no it's just really fortuitous that, that I ended up down this path I mean you know when the opportunity at Duck opened up back in I guess it was 2016 when I started working for them I was just like when I read the job description because I had just moved to London at that point from Los Angeles I was just like are you kidding me this is a dream what like you want all fashion designers around at London Fashion Week and go to studios and you know I just like I was so excited about it so, so, yeah, I've always had that love and, and maybe it is inevitable that I ended up, you know, working in this space as a filmmaker. One of the things I, I know that I read quite a bit about when I was reading about your production, the actual production side of this film, and one of them is more of a social issue in, instead of environmental. And I, I read a bunch about how you had purposefully utilized the BIPOC editor's database and I just, Jonathan and I, our whole company here, everything with Little Red Fashion, it's very important for us to be expanding the idea of community, to be expanding the idea of diversity, yeah. finding ways to make sure that, you know, stories are being told in a way that reflects, you know, places that it came from and is respectful and not problematic. We don't want to be adding anything problematic to an industry that has enough, you know, fundamental challenges to overcome in the next few years. We'd like things to continue. Yeah. <laughs> let alone, you know, any other way. Would you explain to our audience what that is and why you chose to, you know, purposefully? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the BIPOC Editors Database, 
is a wonderful resource where you can find editors who are people of color. And I contacted many editors on that list and there's, you know, an incredible pool of talent on that list. But unfortunately and fortunately, everyone was completely booked up <laughs> from that list. So I don't have a huge amount to say about that because yeah. I wasn't able to secure an editor from the list. I contacted, you know, 10 to 20 editors and everyone was so busy. <laughs> so well, when you talked like so um maybe a better question then would be are there other tools like this that exist for a filmmaker? Is there similar I mean editing is obviously hyper specific, but are there similar databases that do similar things or mm -hmm. other ways that make a filmmaker you know, have the ability to source different types of talent from different types of communities? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure what it's like in the U.S., but in the U.K., there are many, many programs for filmmakers of all backgrounds, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's filmmakers of color, all different emerging filmmakers. And you can, as, you know, as a production, from these different pools of talent. We have something called, is it screen skills? I'll get, I'll get the exact name, skills, screen skills, something, something like that, which is a database of emerging filmmakers. And actually it is a requirement for productions in the UK to pay into this fund. Hmm. So whether you use it or not, you have to support this fund when you're making a film. Interesting. Okay. So you might use it. And this is just, yeah, this is a huge pool of emerging talent in the UK that's available to you. So that's a really good resource. Yeah, those are a few things that come to mind. Wonderful. I mean, anything that makes it easier for people to work together and find ways to find the best talent and find the most best fit. I mean, that's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, the UK and and I'm pretty sure the US too, documentary industries are really prioritizing in terms of what they're funding, in terms of emerging filmmaker programs are really prioritizing uplifting underrepresented voices. So, so that's, you know, at least that is a positive trend in our industry. You know, let's focus on positive things that are happening in this world <laughs> when for sure well <laughs> i also think too similar to the sustainability conversation the dei conversation in any creative field is one of the intentionality and so what you're you know what you are touching on is really the intentionality both behind you know the documentary film process and this database making that easier and brands like mother of pearl making the intentionality piece of design also intentional absolutely One thing we're always really interested in is kind of like behind the scenes picture. And we're really glad to have you here today for a bunch of reasons. But one of them was we really wanted to talk a little bit about the fundraising on what does a person have to do, you know, to make something like this possible? Because very few people, as I know you know, have, well, like you said at the beginning of our, of our interview today, the funding to do a passion project is, you know, it's not something every single person has. So with an eye towards younger people who would like to be making their own projects, either, you know, working for companies or for themselves in the future, 
how do you go about raising money? That's a great question. And everyone's process is going to be slightly different. And I will say, like, I took a more traditional route, but, you know, there are ways now with social media and things and, and people having access to their own platforms that maybe weren't available to me when I was starting out in filmmaking. But but so the way that we raised money for Fashion Reimagined, it was multifaceted. It took a long time. It took three years to raise the financing for Fashion Reimagined. And I would say I was spending 50% of my time on the project on fundraising. Hell of a lot of time. Oops, sorry, that was a four-letter word. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> true. <laughs> so, so as I said, you know, Doug Productions very, very wonderfully floated the project for the first year and a half. And when you're making a feature-length film, the key pieces that you are going to need to fundraise are a trailer and a pitch deck. To make the trailer, you need some footage. And so it's kind of this like chicken and egg process where you have to start making the film to raise the money to make the film. And, you know, the stronger the trailer is, the more likely you are to raise financing. So we put a year and a half worth of filming into our into our fundraising trailer and actually kept refining the trailer until the very end is the reality. So So with that trailer and with a pitch deck, we applied to grants, got rejected way, way, way more than we got accepted. And actually even, so we, we first got a small grant from the U.S. I'll just lay it out to you, like, you know. No, if you're comfortable with it, yeah. It just passes out. So there is a wonderful organization called the Rogue V Foundation in the U.S. that funds kind of environmental and social issue documentaries. So we got our first small grant from Rogavi, which was awesome. From there, I was really, this was about, you know, a year and a half into our journey. I was feeling like in order to push the project forward, I needed to meet more people in the documentary world. And how was I going to do that? So I decided to take a leap of faith and go by myself to the Berlin Film Festival which is not too far from London and has the biggest documentary market in Europe. So alongside, you know, showing films to the public, there's this whole other side of a lot of film festivals, this for industry, and it allows you to pitch your project to industry people. And so I went over there and when you sign up, you get a list of absolutely everyone who's attending. So I just cold emailed like anyone I thought was remotely relevant. And I couldn't believe it when people wrote back and like, you know, agreed to meet with me. So, so I ended up setting many, many, setting up many meetings in Berlin. But what actually was the most helpful for our project was actually transformation was that as part of this industry event at Berlin Film Festival, we had a roundtable pitch to a sales agent. And so there was like four directors on a round table pitching their project to this amazing big shot sales agent. Her name is Vesna Tudich. She's like a leader in her field. She started, this might not mean much to listeners, but she started like one of the biggest sales agencies called Dog Wolf. Which Great is, name. Yeah, Dog Wolf. <laughs> Little like barking graphic is, is, is their logo. But she started like their international sales arm. 
she was working at Met Films at the time and she loved my pitch and she lived, she's London based. So we met back in London and Met Films ended up making the film and that completely changed our trajectory. So if you are lucky enough to get someone like that on board early on, like a sales agent, and in this case, she was very committed not just to selling her. So sales agents sell your film, sell the finished film to distributors globally. But what she also did was she she found finance for filmmakers too. And so, you know, when you, first of all, this made the grant application process easier because once you have someone like that attached to your project, you know, we had applied for a grant with the British Film Institute and been rejected. Next time around, we applied with Met Films on board and we got it. So it's like Met Films, then getting British Film Institute slash Doc Society, they worked together on board. And then through Vestnet as well, we got a US investor, which was a huge turning point. So we got a company called Sustainable Films on board in the US. And then our US investor got her US investor friend on board. And then that, and then we also had someone, this is something that you can do. So in the UK, when you make films in the UK, you get a really good tax credit, um, but you only get it at the end upon completion of the film. And so if you need it sooner, you can make it a part of your financing. And there are people that will, will front the money for you for, you know, plus interest. Mm-hmm. That was the other piece is that someone fronted our tax, our estimated tax credit up front. And so all those pieces, grants, investors, tax credit, for mm-hmm. that all together made up our financing package. But yeah, it was a ton of grant application writing. It was a ton of pitching, 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 pitching. I didn't just go to Berlin Film Festival. I also went to Hot Docs Festival in Toronto and International Documentary Festival in Amsterdam. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of work to to raise the financing. Creative endeavor, anything that you're making, large enough scale that, you know, like a literal investment in your project and yourself and your vision and all these things. We don't hear a lot about that. There's not a lot of, clarity on how to go about it or how to acquire because I mean I can completely understand what you just shared with us how the right person in the right time who understands what you're seeing gets you into a room with the person you you know it's beautiful I mean community can be like the, the answer to so many of our, our issues that we Absolutely. were working on. I was noticing and it was driving me crazy that you know in the credits of documentaries it was always the same several companies that were attached and I'm like, these guys all know each other. I just need to get to one of them and then I can probably get to the rest of them. But how do I get that first person? <laughs> no? Oh, yes. A classic fundraising conundrum, for sure. I, in a former life, as a professional fundraiser. And so shedding oh, yeah. light on these things is always so interesting because I think most people just don't really understand how, for lack of a better way to phrase it, how the game works. And yeah. I think you know, particularly with creative projects, people sometimes have a fear that in sourcing funding or finding someone to finance something, they're going to have to compromise too much on their vision mm-hmm. and their creative, you know, what they have to bring to the table and what they might have to tweak for a funder. Did you find that with your work, you had to 
you found funders that were immediately on board and trusted you entirely? Or were there areas where you had to compromise parts of the vision to get someone on board? Luckily, honestly, it was the former. So, so everyone was really supportive of my vision. And, you know, I was very open to meaningful feedback from all parties. And there was a ton of feedback. And that was another brilliant and very difficult part of the process when you have lots of cooks in the kitchen with differing opinions on your work. And it, you just, it's hard not to become, to become lost in that. And I really had many difficult moments of like, which is, which is the right way to go? What if I'm making the wrong decision and, you know, not realizing the best version of this? Because I really respected everyone's opinions. And, of course. you know, our, you know, our funders, our executives that, that had, that, that gave feedback, they were doing so, you know, out of, you know, the best interest, they had the best interest in the project. They wanted to see the best version of the film too. And they're all, some of them were filmmakers. They're all, you know, industry veterans. I really, really respected their opinions, all of them. And, and so, no, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to compromise. But it was also difficult to navigate feedback and differing feedback coming from all directions. I mean, during the edit, it felt like there were feedback rounds every every month, every few months. And it would just like, I mean, you know, after one crazy round of feedback, I think I just had to take two days out of just, I mean, I, was, I felt like I was lying on the floor. I actually had a baby, so I couldn't have been doing that. But like, I don't know. I just felt like it. I was completely knocked out soul crushed like didn't know where mm-hmm. to turn but but yeah they did all they did all have you know they did just all want the best for the film and and thankfully you know i didn't have to follow anyone's you know suggestions or 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 anything like that so yeah but it's it's not always the case with funders but it but it was in this case thankfully well it seems like you met the right people at the right mm-hmm. time which is Pers- luck i think <laughs> Hold on to that. Keep that. Yeah. I mean, half of fundraising is good timing. <laughs> Approaching the right people at the right time with the yeah. right question. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And it was it it was an incredible team. It was an incredible team. I mean, we're still, you know, doing screenings and, and doing an, an advocacy campaign around the film. And yeah, they're wonderful, wonderful people. No, we're thrilled to be informing our audience about this. Yeah, thank you for thank you for shedding light on that. That was a fantastic part one with our guest, Becky Hunter, the talented filmmaker. And as with every episode, there are a couple things we want to talk about. Number one being the British Fashion Council, or BFC. Founded in 1983, the British Fashion Council, also known as BFC, produces London Fashion Week and, similarly to the CFDA, or Council of Fashion Designers of America, is charged with promoting and helping the British fashion industry and its members to elevate British creative talent. In their own words, they are a not-for-profit organization focused on responsible growth, innovation, and the amplification of the British fashion industry. Speaking of the CFDA, that brings me to our next footnote. 
the Vogue Designer Fashion Fund. This program by Vogue, which began in 2003 with Winter Pro and Zsa Schuler, brought together the most famous fashion magazine and the CFDA through an annual competition providing capital and myriad other networking benefits to the winners. There is also a British Fashion Council slash Vogue Fashion Fund for British designers, which began in 2008. Mother of Pearl, the subject of Becky's documentary, won in 2017. And lastly, for part one's footnotes, we have the BIPOC Editors Database. This amazing resource was created to counter the overwhelmingly not-so-diverse world of documentary editors. The database helps documentary projects connect to Black, Indigenous, and people of color in an effort to diversify this key aspect of the documentary ecosystem in their own words. It is a popular misconception that a documentary editor's job is to simply stitch together a film according to the director's vision. Instead, the documentary editor is the key creative force in shaping the film's narrative arcs, characters, tone, style, drama, and themes. Relationships with directors, producers, and veteran editors are the key to advancement in the documentary film industry, which almost entirely hires via personal connections and word of mouth. This documentary community is currently mostly white, and this has led to an overwhelming system of white creatives hiring and promoting other white creatives who are already in their circles. Without a fundamental and intentional change to how the edit room is set up, these systemic issues will remain. You can learn more about them at bipocdoceditors.com slash about. That is all for today's footnotes. See you on the flip side, and remember, Fashion is for everyone.